battle for she craved. Well, that's where we all would meet. Skipping rocks and skipping school. Daddy taught us a golden rule with an old cane pole. A shady spot to sit. We learned everything we knew. That old Bougie Creek. Yeah, we learned everything we knew. Cause we lived down on Bougie Creek. You're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. I'm Joby Holland, and with me is the co-host of the podcast, Mr. Shed Whitaker of Mossy Oak. In today's episode, we will be visiting with Mr. Tim Wells, the Slockmaster from Relentless Pursuit. Well, Tim, we appreciate you spending some time with us today. I know I got an email back from you stating that uh, you were a little leery with Shed being on here, that you didn't really know if you want to come on or not, but uh, I appreciate you doing it anyway, so thank you very much. All right, man. Well, this is good. It's always good to talk to you guys. Yes, sir. Well, uh, we, we knocked it out before the rut kicks in because it's been pretty slow up here in Illinois lately. But uh, it's to... start, they're starting to move a little. It's cold today and raining, so oh, it is. I got a couple scrapes I got my eye on tomorrow morning. Hopefully that it's something good will happen there. Yeah, front's coming through. You're hitting you, I guess, about right now, isn't it? Is... Yeah, yeah. I want to kill the this certain deer before shed comes up and get him out of the picture because shed's liable to get lucky. That's a, that's a good idea. Well, Tim, we just kind of want to, of course, you know, hard not to know a little bit about you, you know, is, is, uh, with as much content as there is on you with your, with your show and whatnot, of course, shed knows you, but we'd like to, uh, get a little background on you just to tell us a little bit of who you are, how you got in the outdoors and got yeah. your start yeah. and, and all that good stuff. Well, I was fortunate to, uh, basically grow up in the woods uh lived out in uh, the boonies with my 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 parents in a little single modular home and uh we moved up in the world a little bit because dad moved the modular home over to a concrete basement that he built out of block and mortar so we had a basement and a modular home we were a little higher up than the other neighbors <laughs> but uh my main buddy when i was growing up was my dog and uh Next to him was my pellet gun, and those were the two things that I loved the most at that at that time in my life. And um, I grew up in the woods with uh, my mom and my dad and my grandpa as well, who was an avid hunter. And uh, he built me uh, from an early age. When I was seven years old, he uh, he built me a, a bow out of hedge and uh, made me some cedar arrows, and uh, he tr- he trimmed some uh, aluminum roofing material into V broadheads for me. They didn't have an edge on them, but uh, he had he had put spliced them inside them cedar heads and and wrapped them with uh, a real strong tape at the end. And that was my first bow and my first arrows. And I, I'll never forget Grandpa coming out of the house with that, and I was so thrilled. And uh, and um, I tried to pull it back. It was hard. I couldn't get it all the way back. So he he made the string a little longer so it was a little looser i'd get it back to my jaw but we walked out in the in the in the yard and grandpa set his uh set a pumpkin on top of a bale of, of straw and uh i pulled back as hard as i could and i was shaking him and that first arrow just left that bow so beautifully i'll never forget that arrow just leaving that bow and sailing out across the yard going right over the top of the pumpkin out across the driveway and smacking right into his new ford so <laughs> it was uh, it was a memorable for grandpa and i yes it was 
it was pretty awesome. But you know, m uh, months later, the old Banny rooster came around the side of his chicken house chasing a another hen. And uh, I was a full draw when he came around the side of that house and he stopped and stuck his head up when he seen me there at about 10 feet in front of him and I slocked him right through the head. So that was my first <laughs> bow kill. And that's the one that got me set in the stone to be a bow hunter. And after then, you know, it, it just, uh, it, it was in my veins and grandpa had, uh, he had, uh, he'd built me something that would be a lifelong, uh, ingredient in my life that would last a lifetime and here i am today he, he, he certainly did grandpa's play a huge huge role yeah. in the, in the i think one of my favorite things when i was young though was laying in the cornfields with my grandpa and he would call mallards and uh, you know uh all us duck hunters we love that you know the watching those mallards work and decoys and stuff but when you're little i think it's even more uh, mesmerizing to see green heads in a blue sky that are cupped and responding to grandpa's Jensen double reed call, you know, and, and he would, he would beckon to those ducks and he, they'd swing and swing and man, that 410 and my single shot 410 in my hand was just alive. You know, I just couldn't wait to pull up and shoot. And, uh, my first Mallard Drake ever, I was laying out from my grandpa and he was behind me and a big old greenhead mallard come in and he, there was a little bit of water out in the corn and grandpa threw a few decoys in it. And that old mallard swung around tight and he came down, he didn't commit to land, but he came in low and he started to, to flare a little bit. I think he picked up on the bad news. Well, when I threw that 410 up to get it in my shoulder, it got caught in my jacket. And when it got caught in my jacket, I pulled the trigger accidentally. And when I did one number six, lead six, hit that old mallard drake right in the head and draw he you know how some birds when they're hitting the head they their butt goes underneath them and they go over backwards i'll never forget that old green head turning in the sky and coming down and landing in that water oh my gosh it was the greatest thing ever and i grabbed that duck and man he, he was like half the size of my body i was walking back with that giant green head he was a big red leg he came in from the north it was late in november and Man, Grandpa was so thrilled. It was just, uh, it was, uh, it was awesome. It was as good as shooting a big buck. Now, man, it was just, uh, it was great. And uh, so that's the only one thing that I still do. My kids and I are looking forward tomorrow morning is duck season here, and we got a lot of wood ducks working a water hole that we're going to hunt, and a few gray ducks coming in there. The mallards aren't down yet, but they're they're on their way out here, and I heard there's a lot of them coming. So that's a thrill for us as well. We like to bow on them, but we like to get out the Benelli and work them over too. Now you've, you've got two children, is that right? Yeah, Sydney and Clint. Yeah, they're, they're one's out of college, Sydney, and she's out of college, and she's uh, heavily involved in the outdoor industry. A lot of people know Sydney and Clint. He's still in college. He's about to get out of school and be a, a patent attorney. So uh, yeah, it's always good to have an attorney in the <laughs> in the in the family. <laughs> yes, it I is. I usually say that uh, a duck hunter was a poor deer hunter, but I can't say that about you, Tim. Because <laughs> I know you can kill deer. <laughs> Sydney is the Sydney's the duck hunter uh, in the group. Clint, he's a goose assassin, but Sydney, she's definitely our duck hunter and big bass, largemouth bass fisherman. She's she's really good at that, and she's a pretty darn good bow hunter too. She killed a whitetail last night at doe, and uh, shot her shot her out there at about forty five yards. So she's she's uh, she's avid. She's after it. Clint, unfortunately, has school to worry about, but when he gets out, he'll be beating down the timber with her. 
So yeah, it's a, it's a lifestyle for, for us. It's not just something that, uh, you know, I turn to, to make a living with and then go back to golfing or nothing. No, I mean, when we're not hunting, then we got some time off to do something fun. Then we go hunting. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now Tim, how old were you when you got that first bowl that your, your grandfather made for you? What age was that? I was seven years old when he brought that out. Yeah. Yeah. I was a a kid. I was in first grade. Yeah. But I was in first grade till I was 12. But after that, you know, (laughs) we moved on to a different type of weapons. No, no. What led you from there? To take us kind of through there to to how you progressed to get to you know where you are now. Is, is you, know, I, you the- know, I think uh, who I am in this world, you know, is is kind of uh, I would just say probably mostly recognized as an, a, a, tradi- a traditional hunter with uh, what I do in terms of primitive hunting weapons. Big big portion of my following follow me because they like blowgun hunting and they they look forward to seeing me throw spears and. Um, you know, I've always said that if you can kill a coyote in tight with a, a bow, uh, you know, it's twice as hard as killing one with a rifle at 100 yards. And I've always liked the thought of being in tight enough I could smell their breath. You know, that's why even as a little boy, uh, you, you, you fellas have them down there in the barnyards, especially that they call them horse weeds. And once them horse weeds die, they're just as straight as spear as a kid could ever ask for. And if you put when there's when it's muddy in the barnyard and you pull that spear out of the ground, that that root is sharp and straight. And uh, we'd gather those up, me and the neighbor boy, and uh, those were our spears. And I always wanted to to be a caveman when I was a kid. I wanted to sit in the trees and I wanted to spear my meal and we'd walk the creek bottoms and there's chubs and they, them chubs would live up under the banks and they'd swim around in the roots. Well, they were keen to, to tell that we were after them and, and they would go up under them roots. And, but, you know, we would sit and wait and wait till finally they, they'd come peeking out of there and we'd try to spear them with those, uh, with, with those weeds. And, and, uh, you know, it was fun. I liked it. And most of them got away. And still today, most everything I try to spear, I ended up, I end up coming home without them. But once in a while, man, when you're in that situation, whether you're in a tree in Africa waiting on a wildebeest or you're in South Texas and there's a, you know, a boar hog, you know, keen eyed smelling the wind and leery and tiptoeing in to come to the bait, man, when you got a spear in your hand and, and that's going on, I mean, the heart rate is rushing and there's nothing like throwing that spear into the flesh of another beast. And when it happens, it's uh it's a it's an amazing experience and i never get tired of it i i look forward to every experience i'm leaving for uh nebraska in december god bless nebraska's game and fish they allow us to hunt with primitive weapons and uh it's just a crying shame i i i I loved going to alberta bear hunting with my spear well those liberals up there and what's happening to canada is just such a sad thing where you know, the greenies and the liberals are taking over and ruining the way of life of the Canadian conservative, you know, woodsmen up there. They're taking everything away. Well, they made it illegal to spear hunt. So that leaves me with Alaska and Nebraska. And I think there's a maybe Arkansas for whitetail. But anyway, I'm going to Nebraska and I'm going to try to spear my first mule deer in December. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. I need some high winds and broken country. 
anything with a horn i don't even care if it's a spike if i can get the spear in it man it's going to be a rush so you'll you'll see that uh, we'll put that on mossy oak go and we'll uh, we'll make a nice show out of that if i get i don't have to kill one i just throw a spear at one i'll put a camera on the spear you'll see it flying by their head <laughs> yeah so with that spear uh, now fill me in when you were in africa yeah stuck yourself and you about died what what happened with that well there's an there's a lot of people that are spirit animals in the world but you know it seems like in this industry the guy that does it first is generally the guy that gets all the, the notoriety you know so i got to pay the bill so i figured if i could get about 10 different species under my belt spirit you know that i've speared including myself i'd probably be the first guy to do that and it worked out great but when that spear went in my leg, Shed, tell you the truth, it was uh, quite an experience. I had uh, hunted in Africa for 25 days, killed a lot of animals, came home with some, some amazing video spear hunting. But on this particular day, which ended up being the last day of the hunt because I had to go home after I nearly killed myself, I crawled up in the tree and what I would do is I'd fill my backpack as full as, of, of hay and pellets that I could pack. I would go in to along the, the edge of the river, get near the trails where there was tons of animals, and then put out my bait upwind of the water so that the animals that were coming to water, when they crossed, they were having pretty much a drought. And when these animals would cross that scent stream, they'd come to that scent. So I'd crawl up in this tree, a tree that I had found along the well-beat trails and sat on the top of it. And, uh, waited there for the animals and you can see them coming along and day after day it worked out and i speared several animals on this day i got up there i got my bait under the tree i had a walkie-talkie in my water in my bag and you know so i just radio the uh the uh, ph to come get me at the end of the day or if i killed something big and i needed trackers so I, i'm up there and well i had my cameras all remote all around me and all of a sudden I, I dropped one of my GoPros and it fell down near the bait. Well, those warthogs and wildebeest and gimsbuck, they're so keen to anything. If they just seen that camera down there next to the bait, it would blow them out of there and I wouldn't spear them. So I knew I had to crawl down. Well, I had taken my spear and stuck the point as I always did, would stick it in a limb. And then that would be my rest. It would rest there until the animal come and I could just reach over, grab the spear and pop it out and then spear them. Well, it was stuck in that limb. Well, I failed to think about that as I climbed down the tree. And I was halfway down the tree, and I slipped. And when I did, I my foot slipped off a limb, and I shook the tree a little bit. And when I shook that tree, I shook that spear free. And when it came, it popped off that limb and came down, and I didn't even know it was coming. It came down and hit the end of my hat, flipped my hat off, and went tunk, right in my thigh. And... Uh, it was stuck in my thigh and then the spear seven feet long fell back against oh. my shoulder and i i looked down and i was in disbelief and uh i couldn't believe that it. it had just happened the first thing that came to my mind was oh my gosh i just ruined my hunt i'm gonna have to go get this taken care of before i keep hunting and then i got to looking and the entire blade was through my leg and the point was out the bottom of my thigh and the blood was coming out around the edge of the spear well, the day before I'd put a hook on my spear 
so that when it went in the animal, it didn't pop back out, and then the camera on the spear would ride the animal to its death, and I'd capture all that footage and be able to document how quickly a spear takes out an animal. Well, now I've got this this hook in my leg, and I can't pull the spear back out because I tried, tried to nudge it back out. When I did, the blood was flying, but the spear didn't even budge. But I was starting to feel pale, and I, I felt like, man, I'm going to pass out. This is crazy. I'm going into shock, and I'm halfway up the tree. So I thought, well, I'm going to try to get that radio real quick. When I started to go up the tree, that big seven-foot-long spear started to twist yeah. on me. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So then I'm th thinking, well, I'm gonna, I can't pull it out because of my hook. I'm going to push it on through. So then when I started to push, I was like, man, that's really painful. I may be cutting my artery if I run it on through. So I had no choice but to just jerk it out. And so when I jerked it out, oh my gosh, that was that was enlightening. And then the blood just started spraying. I mean, when you see a wound on your body and you can tell when your heart's beating by the amount of blood that pulses out, you know that you've got some damage. So uh, I, once again, I tried to rush up the tree to get my, uh, my, my my radio, but I couldn't get that leg to cooperate. I thought I was going to fall out of the tree, so I just jumped down. And I landed on the sand underneath the tree, and I couldn't get the blood stopped. I tried to get my boot off, and I was getting weak. I couldn't. I wanted to get my strings out of my boot so I could make a tourniquet. To make a long story short, none of that worked. I, I so finally, I, I just I was pinching the wound, and I couldn't get it stopped. It kept spraying out the the wound, so I. I stuck my two middle fingers in the hole as far as I could get them. And man, when oh. I did that, I got it down there past the knuckles and I oh. found it, man. I found what I had cut and I just pushed on it. And uh, I sat there for an hour and a half or so. I don't know how long it was, but I sat there and just tried to keep myself from, you know, falling asleep because I knew if I did, I was dead. And did you, uh, I've been close to dying once and, and I knew I was on my way out and I made my peace. And uh, did you do that? You know, I videoed, uh, you know. And I saw part of the video. But that was long after the fear was gone. That's after I had mentioned to my, my family what I needed to say to them. And, and uh, you know, I made my peace with God, you know. Um, but at the whole time, I was not in the mood to die. I was more in the mood to survive. <laughs> and so my mindset was more so how to survive at that moment and so uh if you're uh if you love life and you want to stick around it's amazing what a guy will do to stay alive and you know you look back and you, i look back and i say man i can't believe i did that that i would stick my fingers in my leg and all that stuff but i mean when you're in that situation you, you'll do whatever you got to do to stay alive if you love life and and i just did what any guy would do and uh, tried to keep a level head and uh, here I am today. When it gets cold outside, my my foot falls asleep a little bit because of nerve damage. But outside of that, it, you know, uh, everything came together and I survived it. So, you know, I, it wasn't meant to be that day. Now, Jeff, I guess you went to the hospital over there in Africa. And no, they wanted to give me a blood transfusion because of blood loss, and uh, I I was so afraid to get AIDS and stuff. Uh, I mean, the odds of getting uh, AIDS are uh, hepatitis from uh, uh, that area I was at was really high and I knew that if I was going to die from blood loss it would have already occurred so uh, we just uh, got me home that day the, the, the scary part about it was 
there uh, uh, where we were at when the doctor came uh, he uh, he cleaned the wound but you know an American doctor would have probably you know put some hoses in the wound and, and, and flushed it out because that dang spear that went to my leg had been through a wildebeest two warthogs and a impala and it had blood and poop and everything else on it and dirt and now that was in my leg with hair and that guy just he washed off the top real good and sewed her shut Oh. And, uh, by the time I got to the uh, hospital here in Illinois, the next next morning, my my leg was black from my from my crotch to my my foot, hmm. and uh, the only thing that saved me out of all that was that they have uh, some killer medicine over there for infection. <laughs> uh, uh, and my doctor said, "Man, if he wouldn't have gave you these pills." Uh, we might be chopping off your leg, man. It looks bad. It looked bad anyway. I was scared, but uh, you know, a month later, I was I was back in the gym working out. So, you know, things happen for a reason. I got lucky that day. Well, I hate to ask you this, Tim, because it's painful. You know, I'm wincing and everything else with every word you're saying. But when you pulled it out with that hook in there, were you able to get it on one try or was it, was it a struggle to get it out of there with that hook? Two pulls to it. The first one was, oh, I'm going to pull this out nice and easy. And that was the one that really hurt. Mm. So then I tried to push it through and that one's really hurting too. And logic told me, don't push it through because you're going to cut your femoral down there. Cause it was kind of point. I knew it was tight and I didn't, because it was in there, I didn't, I could feel the point on the bottom of my thigh, but I couldn't get my head down there to see which way the blades were pointing. So I didn't know if the flat edge was going to sever the femoral. And uh, to this day, I don't know if that little uh, artery that I could feel spurting that blood was that femoral just nicked a little bit. But, you know, uh, something was cut there and it might have been that. I might have made the right decision by deciding the second pull is going to have to be straight out and I got to pull hard. And when I did, I pulled her and boy, I ripped her open, mm, man. And then yeah. here come the blood. But the, you know what I remember the most about laying in that sand for hours was the horrendous thirst that I was going through. And, uh, I've read, uh, tales of men in battle, you know, uh, where they were dying in the battlefields. And the one thing that they all had in common, uh, was thirst. And when you lose, when you lose blood, uh, it's crazy how bad you want water immediately. And, uh, probably got a lot to do with why we find, we go looking around the creeks and stuff when we got shoot a deer, you know, we eventually, uh, you know, Sometimes we find them near the creek. <laughs> How long did you have to go without water? How long did you lay there before you got here? You know, I don't know. Uh, it was probably between four and eight hours, you know, oh, but boy. it felt like days before that fine, that sunlight started getting low. Finally, they come looking for me. And, uh, uh, but uh, the only traumatic period was the, you know, the first hour and a half, you know, stopping the blood. Once the blood stopped, I knew I was good to go. Uh, I couldn't walk or get up or anything, but I didn't want to, you know, try because I was afraid I'd start the blood doing it. I had a few warthogs that wouldn't leave me alone. They could smell the blood and sense that I was in trouble. Uh, and those warthogs are scared to death. They're like wild boars in, in uh, you know, Oklahoma. They're scared to death of you. But for some reason, man, they you smell different when you're wounded. Yeah. And uh, I seen them act different. That was kind of freaky see but i had that spear laying on the ground so i wasn't worried about them eating me but 
I could definitely sense that the animals sensed that I was a different creature than I was before they met me. You know, I bet so. It was kind of a, uh, it was quite a deal, man. It was, and I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But what did the wife uh, have to say when you got home? You know, she's a she's pretty uh, calloused woman with me. You know, she uh, she was teasing me and stuff. You know, she didn't feel sorry for me. I mean, she, <laughs> she I mean, she nursed me along a little bit, but she's a she's a cave woman, man. She's tough like me. So she's 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 a good girl, you know. And she made my kids tough. And my daughter last night, she was gutting that deer and putting her hands down in there, yanking on that liver, trying to tear the tear it out of there and wheeling that knife around and the, her little friend was standing there that never been exposed to that sort of look and she was kind of looking at Sydney like this isn't the person I thought I <laughs> so it's just a way of life and I got yeah. the right person as a mate that uh, you know be my teammate that's outstanding and, uh, she know, knows when I need need the love and attention and then there's other times when she teases me when I'm hurt you know I fell out of the tree stand uh, last year uh, that both the cables snapped on it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the brand of, of uh, tree stand. I probably should, but I mean, that was a close one there. I got hurt there pretty good. I mean, it just bruised me all up. And that scared her worse than getting speared in the leg. But, uh, you know, it wasn't, didn't put me in a hospital. I fell 20 feet, but I don't know, man. I keep getting hurt and I never get killed. So <laughs> there must be, there must be some plan. I don't know what it is, but I always said, I don't want to die in a bed dying of, of a disease, you know, and I don't want to go instantly either. I don't want to go that way because sometimes, you know, um, you know, sometimes I might be saying something about Biden or something, you know, that's not real Christian like, you know, <laughs> so now, I don't want to go that quick because I want to have a few seconds to, you know, make my peace with God, yes. you know, because I do believe there's a heaven and a hell. But, in the, you know, something to the effect of maybe, uh, you know, a leopard on one end and a, a lion pulling on the other, you know, that would be a cool way to go out, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Now, what led you to, to pick it up a spear? I'm not here yet. I got a lot more to do. What, what led you to pick it up a spear for the first time? Or, or a blow well, gun. Know, I, I, like I said, I loved doing it when I was a kid, but the real, what really installed spear hunting for me is I paid my way through college with a javelin. Okay. You know, um, I, uh, I, I I played sports in college. I was the, the team captain for my track team. and uh, I could chuck a spear like nobody's business. And uh, so, you know, throwing that uh, uh, javelin down – downfield was uh, really fun. I enjoyed it. But I told my coach, I said, Painsy, when I get get out of he gave me this he gave me the javelin that we won a track meet. It was really a it was a rival for us and, and that it came down to that that spear throw that that won and the whole team won because of it. So Hainsey said, you can have this spear. I want you to keep this. I still have it in my man cave on the wall. But I told him, I said, Hainsey, my, I'm going to kill my first animal with this javelin. And, and I'm going to name it after you, buddy. And sure enough, I got when I got out of college, my dad welded a nice spear point on the front of it. He honed out there in the, in the shop. And, and I went down to South Texas. And I, I came, I was walking along this, uh, this, this creek, this dry creek bed. And there was pools in it. And it was... Uh, 
it was in the panhandle and it was on a cattle farm, but there was tons of big boars in this area. They hadn't been hunted too hard. And uh, in the heat of the day, I'd walk there and kill them with my bow. Well, this time I went back with the spear and with that in mind. And uh, I was coming down along the, the, the river and, and uh, in this dry mud hole up ahead of me, I seen motion and it was a big boar and he was, he was kind of walking along the bank and I was holding still waiting for him. And all of a sudden he dropped off into the, into the trough of the, the creek bed. And so I came up above him and uh, my buddy was behind me videoing and I came up above and when I eased over the top, I was about 10 yards over him and I looked down and I could see his tail. He was wagging it. He was messing in the water and all of a sudden he switched ends. I think he got a little bit of my wind and started to nudge out. And when I seen him kind of bob his head, like an old boy will do when he knows something's wrong. I knew it was now or never. And I let her rip. It was, I was a little farther than I wanted, but man, that spear hit him right dead center in the ten ring. And uh, he ran up on the bank and the spear fell out, but I could see the blood coming out of him. He made a big horseshoe and took off. And uh, the funny part of that was when I walked up there and picked up that javelin, and I looked on the ground, there was a chunk of liver about the size of a quarter laying right where the spirit <laughs> fell out of him. And it went through his side, in through the liver, up towards his front shoulder. And uh, so I got Hainsey as a big bore with the spirit he gave me. And uh, after that, man, I started strapping GoPros on my spears. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the most, I guess my first big whitetail was, was neat, but the, the, the one spear kill that will forever uh seemed so gratifying was in mozambique it was day 27 uh that i had tried to kill a cape buffalo with a spear and we were hunting him out in the grasslands and everywhere you find these buffalo you know they'd be in groups of 15 to 50 and uh just it was a daunting task to try to get in tight enough to kill one of those buffalo uh they would mock charge me and run off and this and that but i could never close the deal on one well one day we 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 decided to go hunt eland and we were in the jungle now in mozambique you hunt along the river where it's grassland for miles and miles and then it abruptly changes into jungle forest i mean you can hardly walk through it and it's a, a distinct line where it turns from jungle to grass well we were walking in that jungle trying to pick up. I had some of the world's greatest trackers, those Mozambique Africans are the, some of the most amazing trackers you'll ever follow. We actually would pick up the animal's trail or track amidst animal tracks everywhere and follow it down and then kill it, you know, and that's the way I'd hunt with my bow. Well, on this day, I had my bow and my, my spear with me. Well, we were hunting Elan and we cut a big track of a, a Cape Buffalo. And the, the tracker told me that it was a rogue bull, a, uh, an old dugger. Okay, so what happens is when these bulls get old enough, they get kicked out of the herd and they go solo. And sometimes the big boys will retreat into the jungle and live out their life where they're not have to compete with the younger bulls that kick their ass every day. So that's what we, we had come across a huge bull. So we picked up the trail and started following him. And that was about nine in the morning. We'll come 12 o'clock, one o'clock in the afternoon in the heat of the day. We come around the corner and instantly like bird dogs, I could tell the trackers had found, had caught up with the bull. 
And there he was. He had his head down and his tail was a flopping the flies. And he was out ahead of us about 150 yards. We could see him out in the meadow. And he was just kind of moving through the timber. And, uh, oh, my gosh, he his horns were just sweeping and huge. He hadn't rubbed them. His bosses were heavy, and his horns were pointy and sharp. He was a 44-inch giant bull. And he was just moving side to side, swaying. His muscles were rippling. You could just see he was just a, he was a, a magnificent beast. And we, we followed him through the jungle. And we when he'd leave the, a small clearing, he'd go into the thick step. And we'd pick up the pace and get in tighter on him. Well, he vanished on us through some really thick, uh, low scrub. And uh, it was getting in the heat of the day. But a little bit of breeze had picked up. And by golly, the breeze was in our face. And we were following the tra- track. And so we come around this through this thicket, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking, and once again, I see the trackers. They locked up like bird dogs again. And I looked up, and, and I walked up there to them, and they're pointing. They're, they're talking their gibberish and pointing and whispering, and I looked, and there that bull was. He was laying down out ahead of us. It was precisely what we needed. And uh, I eased in there at about 45 yards where I could get a good look at him. And there he was. He was laying with his head away from us, but he was kind of quartering away. The wind was in his face blowing right towards us. And that's the way them bulls will do. They'll, uh, they'll, 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 they'll lay where it's thick behind them and where they can see in front of them with the wind in their face. They're artists at it, how to prevent lion. You know, they can see what they get to their feet when a lion's coming. Their odds exceptionally go up, you know. And that's what he had done, like instinctively all of them do. So my only way to get to him was to go through thick cover. So I was barefooted. Um, and I got my spear. And uh, the outfitter, who was an exceptional hunter himself, he said, Tim, he said, take your bow he said this is a bull of a lifetime there's no shame in killing it with a bow i said dude i have waited my life for this moment i said there is no regrets if this bull gets away he goes i know but we've been trying for a month I'm like, i said hey if that bull gets up and runs away and i don't even get to throw the spear that's what i came for that's what i paid for you know and uh Man, I'll never forget picking my way into that bowl. There was two trees. They were about the size of my thigh. And they were kind of like this, side to side. and kind of. In. So what I did is I angled towards that bowl and continuously kept that in line with his eyes. He had one eye my way. And so I kept that as I moved in there. And every once in a while, he'd flip his head. And I could see him chewing his cud the closer I got. So I knew he wasn't sound asleep, but he was, you know, he was drowsy. And finally, I had cut the distance and got to one little tree, little scrub, and it was right in front of me. And I couldn't go past it without going out around the side of it, left or right. And that would put me in his peripheral vision. I was about 10 yards from him now. And I could hear hear him labor with every breath. It was was just, uh, it was exhilarating. And as I, as I moved in there, I waited and I was, I had the spear and I almost threw at 10 yards, but their skin's so thick and their hide is so wide that I was worried about penetration. I wanted to get in there. When I made the throw, I wanted to know it was over. So I, but I was a dilemma. How do I get around this thing? And suddenly the wind kind of kicked up. And when it did, the dry leaves in the forest made some noise. 
and he swung his head and looked away from me. And I, I just seized the moment. I stepped to my right, laid my foot as quiet as possible, came back around the bush and stepped once again in front of them two trees. And the moment my body came in between them two trees, I, his head came back to where it was. It was that tight. It was like this was meant to be. And now I'm at seven yards and, and he's still chewing his cub. I get my spear back. I turn my camera on, my, my GoPro on my spear. I raise the spear. I know I'm two steps. At this point, I know the spear is going to be thrown, whether he sees me. Whatever happens at this point, I will throw this spear. But I took two steps. I peered around the tree a little bit, and he was still motionless there a little bit. The wind kicked up again, and he kind of tilted his head a little bit. And I said, it's now or never. And there was a big chunk of dirt right on the side of his kill zone. And I said, that's my mark. And when I hammered him, that spear buried home and it split that piece of dirt right in half and went all the way to the hill. And that bull jumped out of his bed. By that time, I had turned and ran back three or four feet and got behind the tree that uh, was nearest by. And when I looked around, he had spent spin to his feet and he had his head down. He was wallowing side to side, looking for whatever had bit him. And then he retreated. And when he took off retreating, I screamed at my, my outfitter. I said, don't shoot. He's dead. And off he went. Well, he ran off into the forest and, uh, we picked up the spore and followed it for about 150 yards, and there wasn't much blood. I was really worried. And then we came onto the spear. I pulled the spear up, and the GoPro was still running, and the, the, the shaft was covered with blood. And uh, uh, we got on the spore again, and, and, and finally it's, the blood started really coming then. And uh, about 300 yards into the, the forest, we come around the corner, and I'm telling you what, that giant bull was laying there stone dead, just laying on his belly, dead like he was forward with his head straight out. And there were those big black sweeping horns on his side of his body sticking out and uh, big froth of red blood. And it was bubbling out the side of his, his rib cage. And uh, that was a, that was an amazing moment. I mean, it's very emotional to, to talk about that but that was uh it was quite a deal man i'll never forget that as long as i live i, I can't imagine that uh, there's anything a person could do and, and and i have not done anything remotely like what you talked about so my adrenaline rush and your adrenaline rush are two different things i can't imagine a more of adrenaline rush that than you get by being up that close to oh man it's just just uh, uh that was uh, probably uh outside of spear maybe a lion I think uh, there's not a greater animal in the world that you could get a, a big rush out of, but um, it's all relative, you know. Uh, you know, you get a 15-year-old kid and he's in a tree stand and he spears his first boar. Uh, he's going to get that same rush of adrenaline and uh, as a kid shot his first moose with 30-06. You know, we, we, as hunters, we live for that moment. And uh, it's not about that moment. But when that moment comes, we're very grateful, and, and we 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 uh, enjoy that thrill that we get to experience. And you know, um, and sometimes we don't. In, at the end of the hunt, we don't get that moment, but that's not why we're there. That's right. And we enjoy that part of it, but uh, uh, when it comes, you got to really uh, 
you got to cherish that moment. And you got to relish the moment as you live it and, and try never to forget it. You know, pretty much everything I hunt now is with a camera. Um, it's about capturing the moment, sharing it with my family and friends and my fans. And uh, that is something that, uh, you know, it's kind of evolved in my life. It went from hunting uh, for the, you know, you know, just for the hunt to, uh, you know, capturing that moment and capturing that excitement and capturing the uniqueness of a blow dart hitting a big game animal or flipping a rabbit, rabbit over on his back or, you know, shooting a raccoon out of the tree with my Oneida bow. You know, those things uh, are, are fun for other people to, to live out those moments uh, through what I capture on video and I plan on doing it until I'm not able to do it anymore. And Tim, I'd imagine that if a spear gets in an, into an animal, your chances of recovery are about 100%, wouldn't you say? You know what? I've lost a, uh, I'd be lying if I said I never lost animals with a bow. I've shot thousands of animals with my bow and I've lost some. And I regret that it's happened, but it does. Mm -hmm. But I have killed hundreds of animals with a spear. Uh, and uh, I have never lost a big game animal that the spear has entered its body. Yeah, I've glanced it off a few of them and ricocheted off their butt or something like that, you know, or put a good slice down the side of them or something that they're going to recover from. But I've never lost an animal where that spear went into his hip or went into his paunch or struck him in the neck. They just cannot recover from that, that spear because when that spear goes into them, they run and then exponentially it widens them open and the, the trauma is amazing. I speared an elk on video and you can see him from the moment the spear goes in him, he isn't alive for 10 or 10 seconds. And uh, it, it, that's a good example of the trauma that a spear delivers. I've always said that every state, especially our Western states where we hunt moose, bear, and mule, big trophy mule deer and elk, and a man, like if you live in Arizona, you don't have the capacity to, to spend a lot of money and go somewhere else and hunt. Maybe he'll wait 10 years to hunt next to his house for, a, for an elk. Mm -hmm. If the Department of Game and Fish would allow us to spear hunt for all these big game animals, you're going to allow all these guys to get in the forest. They're going to get to hear the melodious call of a bull elk screaming in the distance. Their odds of killing that elk are one in probably 150 people. The success rate will be like hunting Florida Ibex or something. It'll be less than 4%. So what we do is we capture all that money for licenses. The guys that don't draw an, an elk tag with their gun or their bow, they can still buy an over-the-counter spear tag, go hunting. We don't deplete the resource because nobody kills anything. And then every once in a while, a guy will get good enough if he sits in his tree stand long enough or he lays behind a, a wallow in a blind, we'll spear an elk. It can happen. But for the most part, we'll get all these hunters in the woods, we'll gather all that money for the Department of Conservation, and we all get to experience the thrill of a lifetime, which is just hunting. Instead of waiting once or twice your whole life to go hunting for in a trophy unit. What? And same with whitetail hunting in all the southern states. It, you know, we should be able to, everybody should be able to spear hunt whitetails. We're not hurting the resource. You know, we get these greenies, they're always coming on to us like, well, why are you shooting rifles? It's not fair. You're shooting that deer 500 yards away. Well, 
then if I, I pick up my spear and want to spear them, they're like, oh, that's unethical. Look how, how gross and, and, you know, how brutal that is. Well, which is it? Yeah. You know, a spear takes out that animal quick. Yes, there's a lot of blood because it's doing its job. It's killing them quick, and I'm going to get that meat quick, and I'll be able to dress that animal fast. But the animal is the most fair chase way to hunt an animal with primitive hunting tools because you've got to be so close to that wild boar when you kill him that you'll probably be able to smell his breath. That buffalo, when I killed that buffalo, I could hear him breathing. I could hear the air coming in and out of his lungs. I could feel the tension from his body. I could actually see the muscles on the side of his rib cage and on his shoulder. I could see them rippling with my bare eyes. I wasn't looking through a scope. I mean, you got to get in there so tight that their sixth sense sometimes gives you away. And uh, that's as fair as it gets for an animal. And uh, we should be able to use a spear in every every place we hunt. And it's just a cry and shame that they make it illegal that we can. And I hope that changes in the future. Now, you mentioned, was it Alberta you mentioned had outlawed spear hunting? Yeah. Uh, Josh Bomar speared a a black bear in in, uh, uh, Alberta. And he did that after I had speared several of them. But uh, uh, the presentation on uh, YouTube didn't go over well. And... uh, you know, maybe an overzealous uh, celebration or whatever. But anyway, he was totally legal how he did it. But they tried to, con- you know, find a way to convict him of doing something illegal, and they never. But uh, immediately, the new liberal government up there and, and all the hoopla behind that, they, they came together, and the city folk decided to make that illegal. And so now you can't spear hunt in Alberta anymore. So there's nowhere left in Canada. The home of the spear, where the spear was born, where we speared animals for a million years, and this is the generation where spear hunting, as we know it, as it evolved through history, as it fed the Canadians, as it put food on in their camps, as it as it fed the you know and nourished their bodies, that so that generations later, here we are inhabiting Canada. This is the generation where spear hunting is wrong and they've now made it illegal you know the percentage of spear hunters i would imagine in alberta would be extremely small i mean i have no earthly idea but there there can't be many problem there's no voice to defend us and Mm -hmm. that's why as hunters you know you have to stick up for each other you know you can't uh you can't say i'm not worried about it if they make that high-powered rifle illegal i'm a bow hunter well you know what we got to stick together it's it's just a matter of time when they come after you and so the right thing would have been is for all the bow hunters and and rifle hunters up there to stick up for their spear hunting buddies you know but that didn't take place some of them actually made it even worse they said it was unethical and that you wound too many animals and stuff they know nothing about it through all that hoopla through all that uh, investigation of, of Josh's bear and going to court and making it illegal. Not one person in Canada called the most expert spear hunter in the world to get his opinion. I never heard a third of a thing from him. And neither did Cold Steel, the maker of the finest spears in the world. They never called them. You know, and that's the way things happen nowadays. So, you know, that's why we better be voting. That's why we better, no matter how, whether you like Donald Trump or not, those guys are hunters. And if nothing else, if you don't vote for the Trumps, uh, we got 
we're in trouble, guys. And I don't think a lot of hunters understand. Well, this is a critical, this is a critical moment that we're about to, to, to enter. And if we go the wrong direction, it could be the beginning of the end, or it could be the beginning of civil unrest, like with conservative outdoorsmen, unlike anything we've ever experienced. Canada has, is seeing it happen to them now. They open their borders. Those people have left their countries because they don't like the way their countries run. But what do they do? They come to Canada and now they vote for the same crap they left. And so now all these people are subjected to the majority vote in Canada or Canada, and they've changed their whole system of life. Uh, the, the way they lived, the way they thought, that's all changed. And uh, that can happen right here in the United States. And if Biden gets his way, I'll bet my life on it that he will try to change our lives the way they did in Canada. They will try to change, uh, they will try to change our Constitution any way they can. If they can win the House and the Senate, and if they win the presidency, they'll try to change the, the Second Amendment and take our guns. And the next thing they do, they're going to take our judges and they're going to add a bunch of liberal judges so that they can get their votes the way they want. And before it's over with, America will no longer be the America we know. Because if they also go in there, they're going to change the electoral vote. If they change the electoral vote, they'll be the popular vote. And what that means to us hunters and us, us, us woodsmen and us country people and, our, and you small town people is, they're going to let the, the popular vote win, which means everyone in New York, it don't matter if all of them vote, if our vote won't matter. And if our vote doesn't matter, don't think we're going to save the day in four years. Because in four years, when we go to vote again, if they've changed it to the popular vote as a, concert, as a conservative person and a small town person, your vote at that point will never, ever matter again. And it could be the end of our era. So you've got to fight, man. You've got to get every 18-year-old kid and every 90-year-old man that you know and that's in your family to get his vote in because it's coming down to the wire, boys. And it's going to be it's going to be touch and go what happens if we don't win. You know, and you know, Tim, the taking of weapons, the Second Amendment, uh, all that's been a large concern for some time. I know it's it's kind of heightened right now, but. When, when you look at the licensed hunters in the country, I would have to think that, that that's a large group, if unified, could, could and stick together collectively, could kind of put those thoughts at rest a little bit through through their right. unity. If Do we think? come together as a group, as fishermen, outdoorsmen, and conservative hunters, and then the others that on board with us that, you know, just love the lifestyle of the American people right now in the conservative way, I'm not throwing rocks in it. I, you know, it's a, I, I, I have, I have my faults and I have done things as we all have. So with that said, I regret it, the things that I've done in my life that I shouldn't have, but it doesn't give me the right or it doesn't give me the excuse to not speak my piece that this is important to do what is right. And I'm very worried about our country right now. And I, you know, I don't think Donald Trump is the best guy for the job in terms of, you know, standing up for Christianity by no means. 
but the, our Lord works in mysterious ways. And even in the Bible, the Lord used leaders that weren't ideal Christians to propel Christianity and to look out for good people. And Donald Trump's got a good heart. Sometimes he's probably did some stuff he shouldn't have done in terms of Christian wise, but he is looking out for, for life. He's looking out for freedom and he's looking out for the basic Christian principles that we all believe in. And, uh, it's black and white. It's, it's black and white what we're getting here. So pick your poison, you know, but I'm definitely going to pick, pick, pick the Trump side of this uh, whole equation and, and, you know, roll the dice with him because he sticks up for what I feel is right. And in my way of life, I want to keep it the way it is and not change it. You can cut that part out if you need to. But yeah. <laughs> no, we Although, probably agree with hey, you. Hey, the thing that is so good about you that I that I have noticed is, uh, and, and especially listening to your and Ted Nugent's podcast a little bit, the two of you, uh, is the straightforward honesty. You know, and it, and we, uh, there are too many people that regardless of what, you know, and everybody's got the right to their own opinions, and that's, that's what makes life what it is, you know, but... Uh, it's whatever it's nice hearing somebody be honest and tell it tell you how they're feeling and and i think that's a that's important and, and most definitely uh, admirable you know i want to clarify my position on on everything here certainly you know every man eventually will have to look into the abyss and it doesn't matter whether you are a celebrity or the president of our united states or you're a good guy that goes to work and comes home and feeds your kids and that's you know your biggest fans are your two your two sons it don't matter because in the end we're all going to end up in the same place there's two spots we're going to end up in and it don't matter what we do in life echoes in eternity and you only got so many years to do it right and some of us have done a lot of things wrong but you still have time to make it right and so if we if each of us live our lives that way which outdoorsmen have a tendency to live their life that way a lot of it's because of our conservative values and being brought up in church and fearing our god that's why we are who we are and so to reply to you know saying that i'm being honest it's you know that's how most conservative americans are anyway and hunters are especially that way and so i try to uh, do what's right, and, and and I never I never want to mislead my fans about certain things. That's why some of my sponsors have went away. You know, um, you know, I lost my biggest sponsor in life because it was either you stop throwing a spear or we're not going to sponsor you. You know, that decision lasted about thirty seconds. But I will say, I picked up the phone and called the, the owner of Bass Pro. And, and 45 seconds later, the owner of Bass Pro said, well, welcome aboard. I'm glad you called. Yeah, you can shoot my bow. And I, he paid me more. Yeah. So sometimes doing the right thing, you know, does it even better. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Anyway, when I was, uh, uh, blowgun hunting is a, a special thing for me. I, I, uh, I've been shooting a, a blowgun since I was a little kid. Now, a lot of us have had the blowgun where, you get these plastic marbles and they're on a string, right? And you take, you pull, you put them in hot boiling water and then you pull the string out of them. 
Well, then you take these wires that they would send you and you cut them whatever length you were and you heat them up on one end, you stick it into that plastic. So you got that little ball with that long, and then I would put them in my blowgun and I shot blackbirds like you would believe. You'd shoot the blackbird and you'd have to run out of the barn and look around in the tree wherever he was to find him because it took forever for him to die. Well, blowguns have come a long way. And uh, my new blowguns, I, I, I invented the, the fish hawk. Now you can shoot a fish in the water and he takes off and you reel him in like with a bow fishing bow. And uh, this that thing's going wild. We're sending them out of here day after day and kids are loving it and adults are loving it. Guys are shooting stingrays and everything else. I killed a 56 pound uh, uh, paddlefish this year with it, bow fishing. and. Uh, shot him and took a little while but we got him in the boat and that was a, a pretty exciting moment for me with my new blowgun but anyway we i wanted to kill a, a bear in alaska it's legal to hunt with any type of uh, primitive weapon bears for guys that do hunt bears they know they die easy uh and they're they're thin skinned and so i knew if i could get a black bear broadside to me uh, that i could kill him with my razor dart it wouldn't be no problem if i could just get in tight enough to hit him there. Well, that particular day, I set up probably a little closer than the bait than what was wise. I was going to get about a 10 foot shot at one if he came in, but I figured, you know, those bears can't see very good. And I thought, well, if I kind of blend into this brush pile, I'll set up on here and I had the wind in my face, the bear will come around where they normally would. You can tell by their tracks where they come in and feed. Well, this bear come around and he came into the brush pile and then, uh, you know, he looked over and he seen me. And then he came around to my side of the, it was a big old black bear. He came around to my side and he started nudging in there and he'd look over at me and he looked down at the donuts. He'd look back over me. And, you know, I, I, when I made that video, I said uh, something to the fact that, you know, it's either this, he's trying to make up his mind. He's either going to eat the skinny white guy or he's going to eat a donut. And luckily he went for a jelly donut that day. <laughs> I had one log right in front of his kill zone, and there's nowhere on a bear you can shoot him with a blowgun unless it's through the heart and lungs that you're going to recover him. So I sure wasn't going to take that shot. So uh, he walked away, and I never did see that bear again. He never came back to that bait. But a few days later, we spotted uh, two bears on the bank uh, when we were uh, coming up the river. Uh, we popped off down river and slid back in on them. They were eating on an old beaver up carcass there on the bank, and one of them kind of spotted me, but the other one stayed on there, and I belly crawled in and came up over a log, and I had about a, oh, probably about a 15, 20-foot shot there at him, and I waited until he turned broadside, and I stuck him with that razor dart right in the honey hole, and he ran, he, he ran out about five yards and stopped, looked around, he started to come back to the, to the carcass, but then he turned and started, I think he was feeling woozy and he walked out there about 40 yards and fell over dead. And uh, that, was, that was quite a thrill. And, uh, you know, the blowgun, you, they, you put a razor dart in there. I've killed some 300 pound boar hogs. And I killed uh, a lot of uh, African game with them. But one in particular was a, 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 a big old warthog. Uh, he came in and he was feeding and he turned broadside and I stuck it in there behind his, uh, right in the pocket. He ran out to about 10 yards and looked around and some of the others stayed on the bait because they didn't know what had happened. 
And he turned around and walked back towards the bait, got about halfway to the bait, and kind of wiggled and stand up on his hind legs and fell over backwards dead. It was the craziest thing ever, man. Those, But that blowgun is deadly. It's deadly. I mean, for squirrels, it, it's lights out if you stick them with them razors. It's like shooting them with a broadhead, you know. Now, do you make your own? Uh... Yeah, I have my own brand now that I, I came out with. And then I sell uh, Colt Steels as well and endorse some of theirs. So, uh Lynn Thompson of Cold Steel, you know that guy's a badass. He he's into mm-hmm. primitive stuff, and uh, he he got me into throwing uh, boomerangs and all kinds of stuff. And him and I go all over the world hunting, and, and uh, you know I got to give credit where it's due. You know he's uh, he's an innovator and he's uh, he's a role model for me. He gets a little harsh sometimes. Sometimes I think I want to kick his ass, but <laughs> you know generally we're we're like brothers. We always get along. You know, is there anything from a uh when you go back to when you were young, you know, when I was young, that just, and obviously you shoot traditional weapons. Uh, what, what do you think? Are we missing much? And is our hunting society m- missing much today from the traditional aspect of things are caught up well, in with the you know, every, deer camp? I do not want to critique anyone for what they are or what they do. You know, me personally, you would never see me shooting animals at a thousand yards with a rifle. You would, uh, you're not going to see me sitting in a, uh, a house over a food plot, uh, where I have to open windows out and let some of the air conditioning out to shoot my animal. You know, uh, I'm not into that. Uh, you know, I put out a few trail cameras and I love covert cameras. They work great, but you know, I'm not going to live by that stuff because hunting to me is about smelling their breath. It's about the challenge of fooling, it's about, you know, yeah, you're right. Technology has come a long ways and, uh, uh, primitive hunters, that's kind of how they are. I mean, they like the challenge of going back to man against beast, not man and his satellite and everything else against beast. Um, literally whitetail hunting is a, a prime example. I mean, you will, if you want to kill a big, mature buck, you won't kill one year after year. You will not do that, even in the best environments, unless it's high fence. Wild, big bucks, even in the best environments where you've got enough property to control the age structure. So you're not going to do it year after year unless you're relying on trail cameras, unless you're relying on technology to make you get your two bucks year a year. But if you just say, hey, it's me against them, and I'm not going to rely on this other stuff. You know, once every few years, you might get one. Uh, and I kind of like that challenge. Now, my kids, they want to know where the big buck's coming out, and that's where they want to go every night. You know, they want to they want to know what's on the trail cameras, or they want to, you know, they want to know what's on Drury's Moon Guide, you know, what's the best time of the day. And more power to them. That's great. And that's the thing that we have to remember. We're, we're still on the same boat together, and it's us against the Bidens. And if we don't stick together, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spear mine. You go ahead and shoot your crossbow because we're on the same team. You know, I, I'm only good at layups, but you're good at the three-point shot. We're the same team. we got to beat these guys. So uh, the more people we get, in a, it's kind of a funny thing, you know, this COVID virus that we got going on here and 
all uh, in the end may be a, a bonus for uh, the outdoorsman because uh, all of my sponsors they can't keep their product on the shelves there's just everything selling out there's more license being sold people are starting to realize that uh, you know running that kid to baseball practice every day of his life and making him go to 10 turns may not have been such a great idea now we're going camping now I'm finding that stuff out about my little boy that I love that I would have never known if we weren't sitting in front of the campfire. That's right. And, uh, you know, so uh, being an outdoorsman and, and going back to nature is a good thing. And to me, it's uh, I like to keep it as wild as I can. But, you know, I still hop on my Rambo bike, cut the distance down a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, some guys are pretty extreme about it. Some guys aren't. I got a good friend that kills big whitetails one after another, and he's got a He's got, he's rich. He's got over a hundred uh, cell cameras and he only goes to where he's daylighting a big buck on a food plot or on food that he's dumped on the ground uh, or corn he's mowed down. Uh, and that's where he goes. You know, uh, if he's not getting one daylighting, he don't even go. Uh, you know, that's his deal. Uh, to me, I don't want to be like that, but I don't care if he does. Yeah. When I kill a big buck, I know it was me and a big buck. <laughs> Tim, they usually get you though. Don't get me wrong; they usually get away. <laughs> just got a couple more questions for about you, you. I don't know that there's much you haven't done, but what what is left for you? What is your next challenge uh, that that you have or uh, that you would like to do that you haven't done to this point? Uh you know, I really wanted to spear. I really wanted to. to to spear a shark and I haven't done that yet. I really wanted to spear a mule deer. Uh, I was going to do that in Alberta and I was heartbroken when they made it illegal, but now I, they're going to let me try to do it in, in Nebraska. So I'm really thrilled about that. I really want to spear a lion. Uh, and, uh, when COVID passes, I hope that I get the opportunity to do that again or to try to do it. I've tried and I've never gotten close, but I want to, um, and uh you know you'll make fox you'll, you'll make fox news you do that and then you'll be all everybody out there will be sending you hate mail yeah yeah cat up there yeah i'd like to see my son be a politician one day and uh i'd like to see him fight for us as a lawyer and as a politician if he chooses that route but i know he has a skill set to do it and i'd like to see my daughter shoot a boone and crockett whitetail one day you know, those are some of my bucket lists. And, uh, but uh, I've got to do most of the things that I always wanted to do. Morning. You know, I wanted to shoot a big blue catfish with a bow and arrow. And uh, I got to do that this summer. And uh, so I still haven't got to watch Shed catch a hog and walk up to it with <laughs> nothing but a knife and stick him in the heart. But we'll do that one of these days, I'm sure. Now, now have you yeah, done that, Tim? Have you done that as well? No, I haven't done that. That's what something Shed told me he'd take me to do, but I'm going to let him do the first one so I know how it goes now before I get it. Because <laughs> I've seen them old hogs open a guy up, and they ain't pretty sight. I would say it's not going to be anything you can't handle, with, especially since you had a spear in your leg and <laughs> yeah, everything else yeah. you've experienced. You'll adapt. You'll adjust. You know, all these things that we talk about, you know, uh, we're kind of on the same page, but I will say that, you know, it's been an honor to work for Mossy Oak. Um, and luckily at this point in my time, my life, uh, with the success we've had with the outdoor industry, we were able to pick and choose our sponsors more so than we were when we first started. I mean, I would have worked for 
probably anything for beans back when I started, but that's changed. And uh, to this day, it's still an honor to know that I'm with a group of people that um, they represent a purpose and not so much a camouflage, you know. Yeah. It's a lifestyle that that, uh, that it gives me an honor to know that, you know, I'm part of. And uh, that conservation-minded people with uh, a good Christian base, and um, a lot of that's a Southern thing that they <laughs> they blessed the whole America with. Um, I will say that it's a big it's a big star on my cap to know that I've got to grow up in a mossy oak uh, outfit. And uh, even though I've been a pain in the ass sometimes for you guys, but I've been stuck with me and <laughs> it means a lot. And I hope that uh, I hope we sell the heck out of that stuff. And with these new these new uh, camouflage that you're coming out with is a brilliant idea. And uh, but there's way more behind that camouflage to me. And there was before you sponsored me. There was way more behind that camouflage than just the colors that it would put on my body. Because things in life are very emotional for me when it comes to the outdoors and uh mossy oak is all those things combined and uh it's very it's a very um rewarding thing to know that i'm part of your team well thank you we enjoy having you <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad just make sure you keep cutting them checks every month. <laughs> I, hey i try <laughs> hey, Tim, Tim, I got four or five just kind of one word answers or something like this. Just a couple of things, if you wouldn't mind to answer those. Okay, um, maybe. I think I know the answer to this, but what makes you the proudest? Well, you know, my daughter and my son have done some things that just, uh, it's just a miracle to watch happen, you know? And, uh, when I look in my daughter's face and, and listen to my son talk to me and I, I see who they've become and, and what they're about and, and, you know, where they're going to take their life and, and how they look at their mother and talk to her and, and way their friends, uh, you know, uh, just seem to thrive when they're around them. You know, I'm just so proud that, uh, they've become who they, they are because I see who they've grown up with and I see the other kids in our community, some of which, uh, man, it's, they turned out to be such a disappointment while others turned out to be like my son and daughter, you know? Yeah. And so it can go either way, even with the best parenting skills. And I think a lot of do. good men out there that meant the best for their son and that's the best for their daughter and did everything in their mind to help that child rear them. And then suddenly they, they took, they chose the wrong direction. And that's one thing about life. You know, God gives us choices. He's, we are not a master of law. We are free humans. And my son and my daughter are at that age. Now they are free to choose their direction and the choices that they've made. It just makes me so proud of them. Good Lord gives us free will and uh, you can raise them the best as you can. There's never a guarantee. And when they do yeah. things the way that uh, you would hope for them, uh, there's nothing more rewarding than that. Well, here's my other proudest moment. I met this hot chick at a party. <laughs> and he makes me so proud of her. Oh gosh. Hello. How, how are you? Nice <laughs> to meet you. I don't know how you put up with this sarcasm. She likes the checks. Marks. Hey, Shed, she likes those checks too. Yeah. I do. <laughs> you know what? I haven't seen one in years. I, I suppose she's 
putting them in my bank account. I hope she is anyway. Yeah, well, I make my own money. <laughs> Thank you. Nice to meet you. Too. I know Shed. Who's, who's this? I, I'm, I'm Joby. I'm Joby. Joby Holland. Hi, nice to meet so, you. N n nice to meet you. He never says he's, but he is a doctor. Uh, <laughs> he is. He is. Wow. It only took him twenty years, but he is a doctor. Now I can't. Doctor, I, doctor I can't, of what? Doctor of education. I I cannot work on. Uh, I couldn't work on your wound. I'd have tried to help you if I was there, but I can't. Well, I told you know when I first met Carrie, I told her that you know she said that she needed to go to the the doctor for some female oh. stuff and i said i'm not a doctor but i'll sure take a look if you <laughs> i've been looking ever since two, you know two kids later and many years of marriage has worked out fine hasn't it <laughs> 25 years well congratulations well, every That's thursday incredible. night though she uh she goes by a different name and I get a little strange and then well, we go back to you, normal. You got you gotta keep it interesting. You keep it keep that fire burning. That's important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, Dr. Joe. Hey, you too. You too. That'll get cut out. Um <laughs> when you think about hunting success, Tim, who's who's the first person you think of? Wow, you know, uh it's not like I'm gonna pick a celebrity because, you know, I would pick my grandpa, but that's probably sounds too. No, uh, that's that, that was where I thought you would go. So that's uh, yeah. My grandpa was. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if he was here today, and uh, and I could put him on my show, uh, people would re relish it at at him. You know, he 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 was a he could knock a mallard out of the sky. He was one of those guys though where they shot 50 mallards a day. You know. And every time he pulled the trigger, that was part of the family income going out that barrel. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. what it meant to those guys, you know. And a lot of you Southern boys had fathers, forefathers, and grandpas sure that lived that life where you didn't waste you those shells. So many twenty, you took six twenty-two shells to the woods. You better bring home six squirrels. That's exactly right. You know? And so when I would hunt with Grandpa, man, he could hit. I mean, I seen him peel a snow goose literally with that lead shot over a hundred yards high. I mean, he could hit them high. And when he got on that Jensen duck call, I mean, you might as well, they might as well give up because they're coming, you know, and it, it was a, it was a, it was a, a luxury to have a man like him in my life that, you know, I look, I still look up to him and someday, uh, I can't believe there'd be a heaven unless uh, there's something up there that we get to hunt or chase, you know, and, and I'm, Grandpa and I will probably want to go duck hunting when I get there, you know. But uh, I'm not in any hurry to get there, but when I do, I'll go duck hunting with Grandpa. Well, Tim, to me, you're, you are the definition uh, of passion and what everybody should have. Not You know, not everybody's passionate about hunting as you are, as I am, or shed, but, you know, the passion in somebody's life, I think, is extremely important to keep you living and alive. And But I appreciate your, your thoughts on uh, focusing on where you'll spend eternity because in a day's time, we don't we don't think about that. A lot of people don't. Yeah, sometimes you you know you feel guilty for saying um, you shouldn't do what's wrong when you know that in your life you did things that were wrong. You know, it's like, hey, if you're an alcoholic, uh, the first thing you want to do, you know, is get over being an alcoholic, and then you're going to tell your kids, hey, don't drink. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, but you know, you can't be a hypocrite either. So it's a fine line. And that's why I just wanted to explain myself there. You know, I'm, I'm telling 
everybody, you know, I, I, I want us to do what's right, even though I never did it all the time. <laughs> and I feel bad if I did. Yeah, uh, and, and I think that's every one, every single one of us. And so I know I've done a bunch of bad yeah, stuff. Yeah, she has. She well, did, I know you have. Too. He's done some I'm bad stuff today, something. Tim, and it's barely, you know, day's not done yet. Yeah, I'm sure I'll do something today. I'll regret. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Tim, if, if listeners want to connect with you and see more of your content, and not difficult to find. You know, there's a lot of content out there. And especially if they don't watch anything else, the spear in the leg and, and watching your video of that, yeah. everybody in the country needs to tune in and watch that. But where, oh, can, people, yeah. where can people connect yeah, with yeah, you? Yeah, you want to see me, you know, crying like a little girl, you know, we can watch this <laughs> podcast or you can go watch me spear myself. Yeah. So that's good you pointed that out. Thanks. <laughs> yes, sir. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Folks want to connect with you? Is your is your website probably the place to go? Is that yeah, that's the easiest like way. There's all the links are right there, just like right here. I see below you. You can just click on my stuff on my uh, slockmaster.com. Okay. A lot of people ask me what slock means. Well, when I was a little boy, everybody, all my friends in the neighborhood, when we were shooting our BB guns and bows, if you hit something, you'd say a slock beam. So I just kind of kept that around and uh, trademarked that name, and that's where I coined the phrase. My buddies called me the Slock Master, so I just took it all away. I don't know. If, I don't know if it's appropriate to say, but I don't think anybody slocks better than you do. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, one time, this guy said something on Facebook to me about that's inappropriate to be saying the word slock. Well, I. I thought to myself, I wonder what the dictionary says about slocker. <laughs> so I looked up slock and it wasn't in there, but slocker, it had in there, it had the definition. So I read slocker and it says, a, ma a man who goes into public restrooms to expose himself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, well, Boy, hey, had a I point, didn't this far, I might as well stick with it, man. Jed, <laughs> <laughs> you got any got any closing closing words? No, I I uh, appreciate you coming on, Tim, and yeah. always as always appreciate you being part of my show. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate and, you guys too, and uh, we're just gonna keep singing the song for you and try to. You know, you guys out there listening, just remember that Masioka hide you good. And it's beautiful color stuff, but man, there's a lot more behind it than just being Masioka. So when you put it on, you're putting on a, a way of life, and you're you're supporting something that, that we're all proud of, and we're a team together. And when you wear that Masioka, we are brothers, and and uh, we have brothers that wear a real tree and and all the other stuff out there. But I know the hearts of the guys that invented Masioka and the family that 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 brought it to where it is and all the workers like shed that, that helped promote it. And I'm on a good team and you are too, if you're wearing it. So let's, you know, support those guys. Yes, sir. Yeah. You're on the best team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Hey Tim, good luck again. Thank you again for taking time with us. You're very gracious and we greatly appreciate it. We enjoy watching you. We enjoy you, your content. Uh, you're great for the, for the hunting industry and for outdoor television. You represent it. It couldn't be you couldn't represent it better. So if you question yourself at night, you're you're doing the right things. You're you're a great model, role model for folks. And Doctor, appreciate I appreciate you. that, buddy. That means yes, a lot to me. It really does. Yes, sir. Well, okay, good uh, luck tomorrow with those big Illinois bucks. I'm gonna head to Southern Illinois at just a, in a bit myself. So Well, good for you, buddy. If you strike out, come on up and we'll try to surround the timber, maybe do a deer drive, get old Louie to run it or something. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Hey Tim, thank you very much.
All right. Thank you, guys. We'll yes, talk sir. to you later. Yes, sir. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode with Mr. Tim Wells from Relentless Pursuit. Please subscribe, rate, review, and follow our podcast and share with others. The only way that we can improve and expand our base is through our listeners. You can follow us on all social media platforms at Foshi Creek. We will see you next episode, and remember, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.